Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tilt's The Interesting Liquid Talk Show. I am your host, Ian Sands, also known as Not Ian Sands, director of 1UP Studios for Team Liquid. If you are new to the show, make sure you're following us and liking us on all your favorite podcast applications. And if you want to watch us with your eyeballs, Tilt's is also available on Team Liquid's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Team Liquid. A little shameless self-promotion never hurt anybody. We have an awesome five-star review from user It's Not Sorry on Apple Podcasts, and his review says, this is awesome, can't wait for more of these, hashtag ride or die. Well, thank you, It's Not Sorry, for the awesome five-star review. If you like the show and you want to give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we, of course, would appreciate that. Today on the show, we are going to be talking to the founder of Team Liquid and co-CEO, Victor Hosens. It is not Goosens, it is Hosens, and he will be joined by Dario TLO, which I just learned today stands for The Little One. Two amazing people with a beautiful friendship, a love of StarCraft, and have been with Liquid pretty much since the inception, especially Victor. He can't really go anywhere at this point. You understand what I'm saying. Victor and Dario, thank you so much for being on Tilt. Super excited to have you on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, of course. Um, So I want to start off with Dario. The big news is uh, you are finally, after 10 years of being a part of the Liquid organization as a player and as a coach and as a friend, are leaving. You know, you started off your career watching Victor play in a StarCraft tournament only to become a player under the Team Liquid organization. You got married. You became a father. You started coaching. You've done a lot with the organization, and now you're deciding to leave. So the big question is, why now? Right. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that I think there's very few reasons why I would ever leave Liquid, but I just got this amazing opportunity, which is almost once in a lifetime, to build up their esports department and create something new and uh, help out the space with a new company coming in that clearly has a lot of passion and love for esport. And, you know, my primary loyalty is obviously the esports scene. And I feel like I can do a little bit more in that new position for esports for StarCraft than I can do currently. And, you know, at some point, it's, I think, also healthy to do something else in your life. You know, I love Liquid. I have a really good time. I could imagine myself doing it for another 10 years, but I think it's healthy to get new perspectives and trying something new in your life. So I'll be becoming the esports program manager for Shopify. And, you know, obviously people, especially in StarCraft, have heard a lot about Shopify lately. So it's, you know, perfect fit. People have a lot of passion for StarCraft. You know, a lot of people have seen Toby, um, the CEO, um, being very interested in the scene, attributing a lot of his success actually to what from what he has learned from StarCraft and, you know, giving people in the StarCraft scene opportunities to come work for Shopify, like select who used to be a pro gamer as well. Interesting. That's awesome. That sounds like a really unique opportunity. Victor, are you, uh, are you heartbroken? Uh, I wouldn't say heartbroken. I'm actually super excited uh, for Dario. Um, you know, we have a 10-year history together. Um, and at some point, like if not today, if not right now, at some point you do need to think about, okay, what comes next in terms of a career? And yeah, from my perspective, um, I just wish all of our players nothing but the best, right? And so this opportunity sounded, it honestly sounded completely amazing. And um, I mean, with Dario's time at Liquid, 100%, uh, we would have tried to make something work at Liquid. Um, but also to be fair, I mean, if we did that, um, you kind of start from scratch and you have to learn everything again and, and find your right place in the company. Um, and I think with Shopify, it's just an incredible opportunity. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super happy, uh, about it. Um, and yeah, I remember when Dario, uh, uh shared it with me, um, I, I don't want to 
speak for you, but I thought maybe you were a little nervous around like what I would think or what I would say, but I, I think it's nothing. Yeah, there was a amazing. little bit of nerves, but um, I knew that you'd be happy about it in the end because, you know, years ago you already started what, you know, what you always thought I had the potential to do something else in the space. And I think from my experience, because it just was always not just in liquid itself, but what, you know, is the next step for people that are working for the organizations. So I knew you'd be happy in the end, but of course, like 10 years, you know, my entire adult life, I've worked for Team Liquid. So it's a big change for me. Hey, same here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later, Victor. You're in it for life, but Dario is uh, is off to doing new things. How did this come up? Like, did did they just reach out to you as as being just kind of like a historically touted player in StarCraft, and you just started conversations, or where did this opportunity kind of originate? Well, I think it's just I developed a relationship with people on Shopify over the last you know year and a half, and I saw Toby getting active on Twitter, um, interacting with the community, and then. Um, you know, we met for dinner, we talked about things like everything in life, and um, we had good conversations about various topics. And then at Homestore Cup 20, I met Jeremy Steves, who back then worked in recruiting for Shopify. And um, that was the first, basically, event they officially endorsed for StarCraft, um, doubling the price pool at Homestore Cup 20. And I think we just had a really good personal fit. And then they could see that for what they envision for entering the space, that I have the qualifications to do that. And it'll be really helpful for them to have somebody who's a veteran in the scene that comes from within the scene. Because, you know, a lot of really big companies enter eSport and suddenly you have a lot of people trying to enter eSport that have no idea what they're talking about. I think we've all experienced that. So Shopify sees a lot of value of taking somebody from within the community to help them understand the space better. So what's your, uh, what's your build order once you get there? What are you what are you aiming for? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can't divulge uh, too much yet, of course. Okay, I'm um, digging too much. I'm digging too much. Sorry. <laughs> but but I, I, what I do, I do think you can say f from the outside, right? Like um, Shopify really cares about grassroots initiatives. Yeah, um, yes, if you, if, absolutely. If you see what they've done so far, uh, uh, Toby just randomly like supported Take DV and donated uh, money to their prize pool um, totally out of the blue. Um, then uh, they became became a title sponsor for uh, Team Liquid Star League and StarCraft. They really care about like adding value to uh, yeah some of the more grassroots spaces in uh, in esports um, rather than becoming a massive sponsor for one of the biggest games. Um, yes. And I, th I think that itself also fits Dario really well, right? Not just because of his background, but I know totally. he's also he, he's passionate about about that type of philosophy. So uh, it's a really good fit. Yeah, the, the way we see it is basically, you know, there's no use adding another 5 million to a game that already gets like 40 million price pool a year, you know? Um, but adding, you know, even just 100,000 or 500,000 to a smaller scene can be completely game-changing for a scene and help really people push that scene to the limits. And what we care about is, is passionate communities, um, people that really care about their scenes rather than just going from like one, you know, new trend to another. It's it's definitely very exciting to have an opportunity like that, especially with a company that does care about the space. I think that's like kind of the best case scenario if something like this was going to happen, right? Um, but that's the future, right? Let's talk about the past a little bit. You guys have been friends and coworkers and teammates for a very, very, very long time. So uh, Dario, you and I have talked about this before, but for the viewers and the listeners and people out there that don't know, 
when was the first time that you met Victor? Let's go all the way back. Let's start from the very beginning. Well, you know, that's it's a, it's a kind of funny story, actually. So the first time I ever met Victor was when I was 12 years old in 2002. In my hometown, there was a, a games convention called Gamescon, and Victor was doing exhibition matches of playing StarCraft Brood War against, you know, just Congors. And I had the chance of playing a match against him. Actually, two matches. And I was just a little kid, and he was playing against fans, you know? Do you, do you remember what year that was? 2002. Mm. It's a long time yeah, ago. Very long time ago, <laughs> yeah. It, it was in context of the WCG German qualifiers, and PG Gaming was at the Gamescon. Obviously, you didn't play that, because you're Dutch, no, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a pretty crazy story, right? Like, um, and, and I, I wouldn't have remembered, I mean, to, to, be, to be fair. And, uh, but there's a photo of which you can see me playing. I'm 2002, probably like 18 years old. Uh, and you can see me playing. And on that photo, you can actually see like a young Dario like standing behind me watching. Um, and when, when Dario told me that, when we first, uh, I guess, met again in, in StarCraft 2, it, it was like, holy shit this is pretty pretty <laughs> wild um yeah. but it all came together yeah it's like yeah, those photos that you see of like a girl and then her like future husband is in the background of the photo like taking <laughs> you know have you seen those that's like weird shit that happens no. <laughs> yeah 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 i know what you mean and basically as victor said we, we just started playing stock of two um uh, it wasn't the beta and i just met him in matchmaking and i was like hey uh this is a little weird but you maybe remember this happening <laughs> and, and he had a little bit of a recollection about it. And then each just had a lot of good ladder games with each other and then became regular training partners. Just, I think partially because I just, we started this conversation about what happened in the past. And then this was like pre, was this pre, yeah, no, 2002, 2003. So liquid was already formed at that point. So Victor, I guess for you, were you like at that point in your own brain, were you thinking about kind of the expansion of Team Liquid into competitive, or where were you at at the time when you met Dario? No, I mean, no, not not at all. I mean, uh, those days, uh, Liquid was what we called a clan. Uh, so I, I, I was, I had formed Liquid. My nickname was Liquid Nazgul. Um, but I was actually playing for another organization, which was called PG Pro Gaming. Uh, it was an organization supporting. Um, a lot of a lot of players back then, um, and so I was playing for them. But Team Liquid didn't really become um, a, a business until 2010, when Starcraft 2 came out. And so you you were getting ladder games with Dario, and then what was that conversation like? Of like, hey, I want you to come play for us. Like, what, I guess from both of your sides. Mm. Yeah. So from my perspective. Um, uh, I knew when StarCraft 2 had come out and it blew up, um, I, I quit playing poker and I started running Team Liquid. And um, I just knew it was going to be important uh, for me to know the game and know the space, know the community, know the players. Um, and so that was really a main reason why I was playing, why I was playing the ladder, uh, to get better at the game and to be able to scout uh, scout talent and, and get to know everyone playing it. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I was doing. And, and Dario... Uh, was pretty consistently pr- pulling some crazy, crazy moves um, <laughs> that were uh, that were pretty impressive and, and innovative. And so, um, yeah, that's that's really when we started talking. And what was that like for you, Dario? Were you where where were you, where was your head at in 2010? Well, initially, I never had the intention of you know befriending Victor or becoming a practice partner to like join Team Liquid or anything like that. It was <laughs> just we. Yeah, I just really appreciated his methodology when it comes to practice. 
he started, you know, I, I'm a little bit of a chaotic player, that's all over the place, and Victor is kind of the opposite, where he would just practice the same build order over and over again until it's completely optimized. And I think it was a really good match for me to have a constant I can throw my stuff at to see what matches up and what, is, what actually works, because he's like this rock that just becomes slightly better all the time, and I'm like this chaotic energy that, you know, tries to find chips. So I think we really complemented each other in, in just practice. But then after a while, at the, you know, as the beta was coming to its conclusion, Victor invited me to the Tim Liquid beta invitational, and that's when things started becoming a little bit more formalized. And when did you actually first meet in person after you watched him play? That would have to be, was it the very first time we met when we flew to Korea together? Uh, it must have been, right? Um, I'm honestly not really sure, but that's, that's very possible, which means that uh, you signed a contract and we booked you a flight ready to go to live in Korea uh, without <laughs> ever having, having met, which you know, sounds fairly plausible. <laughs> yeah, 2010 was a different time. Yeah, you can get away with that stuff back then. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, it is a different time. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we all got to know each other online and got to trust each other through, uh, honestly, through chat uh, for the most part. Not even like calls, video calls, um, but uh, but it worked. Um, and uh, here we are. Yeah, that that wouldn't fly in in these times. <laughs> you can't be like, yeah, nope. Dad, they're my best I'm, friend. I chat with them in this video game. Zero <laughs> chance. Zero chance. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the story too bad. Uh, but I do want to explore. You know, meeting for the first time, flying him out to Korea, and like that whole adventure that you guys had. So, whoever wants to take it away, I don't want to do any spoilers. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll. Uh, so, I mean, Korea was really the mecca of uh, of StarCraft One, um, and it was sort of leaning into that direction for StarCraft Two as well, um, where you could tell like the, the the best players in the world were coming from Korea. Um, the the biggest, most prestigious league was there as well, um, and I, I lived there myself in uh, 2002 and three actually, um, and that really benefited me in my game and uh, helped me get better in StarCraft One. And so, yeah, for us as as Team Liquid, we're also always uh, just pushing for like the next step on on what can we provide for our players to uh, to ensure that they have the best practice environment. And so. We started talking to, I think, Dario, uh, Jonathan for sure, um, about moving to Korea and spending some time there, potentially living there, um, and basically becoming the best players that they could be. And what was your living situation in Korea? It, you know, it was quite crazy. Um, when we first arrived, we lived at a basically a, a friend of Victor's uh, house, uh, Spunky, who was the manager of um, OGS, the team we partnered up with. And... The first couple of days, or maybe a week or so, we basically live together with maybe five other Koreans in a space that was basically a one-bedroom apartment. And so we were like eight people, and I remember Victor, Jonathan, and I, we were basically just sleeping on the ground in a laundry closet. And um, every day we were going to a PC bank, so a PC cafe, uh, to, to practice together, because obviously there wasn't even enough space to set up enough PCs to play together. But then Spunky organized a larger apartment where we would live for quite a while. Um, but it wasn't exactly luxurious either. Um, we moved into a new place, which was a two-bedroom with one giant living room in the middle and two bedrooms that each had um, four bunk beds in them. So we were like then living with like, you know, at the beginning, maybe 12 people, then later on 16 people, 
in one apartment and in the middle of Oshiz's room with like rows of PCs after PCs. But a lot more comfortable than our very first um, situation. And when did the uh, Korean love motel enter the picture? So, so I believe that was in between those two places, right? <laughs> or was it, was it a little bit... No, no the, the, the place that um, you were referring to with all of the bunk beds was indeed where we ended up staying. But like right before, um, yeah. uh, they had found like a different apartment. And it was a beautiful space. Um, uh, and we were actually actively uh, moving in um, when the neighbors found out, wait, so there's 20 uh, uh, young males coming in to live next door. And apparently uh, a lot of folks in the building did not uh, appreciate that very much. And so we were uh, swiftly kicked out again. Um, I, think, I think even the same day, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, we spent, maybe we spent like one night there, uh, but we were kicked out of that one. Um, and we had to just scramble to find uh, something like anything at all. And so, uh, yeah, in, in Korea, you have these these love motels, uh, I guess, where uh, where couples tend to uh, spend the night um, in with some privacy. And so that was the the, the best available thing to us uh, where we were at that point. So that's kind of where we ended up. Wait, are you p- paying a picture for the listeners? Are we talking about heart shaped bed? Was there like you know sexy jazz music playing from the corner? What what was the vibe like? Yeah, well, I don't, don't want to go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't want to go too much into detail, but there was a lot more than you know, uh, sexy jazz and music playing. Um, <laughs> so, but definitely hot shaped beds. Uh, I think we had a jacuzzi. Um, we had a television that only had one certain kind of channel, and um, I think we actually had two hot shaped beds, uh, which is also an interesting choice. And um, but we were three guys sleeping in the room together. So I think Victor and I ended up sharing beds because Jonathan was moving around a lot when he slept. But yeah, it, it was not bad though. It was like very clean. It was very proper. But it was interesting to see the faces of the receptionists when they were like, "He came back," and they was like, "Okay, here's the twenty guys that I was spending time in this love motel together." <laughs> yeah. How long did we stay there for? Because we 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 practiced nearby uh, for a while, right? I yeah, but I don't it. think it wasn't that long, right? It was like max one week. Yeah, I think a week or so. It's a good time. My, uh, I, I flew to Korea basically because um, Dario and, and Jonathan were going to live, Jonathan is Jinro, um, they were going to live there. And I basically figured like I should fly in with them, make sure they're being like properly situated. So I, I had to extend my stay like uh, time after time um, until we finally got, got the right place. I think it's yeah. For Jonathan and I, it was like the first time living outside of our parents' place. So it was it was really appreciated that Victor was there at the beginning when things are especially a little bit more crazy to make sure everything okay. is going okay. Tiny bit chaotic. Yeah, it's it's so interesting to hear these stories, right? Because you know, in today's day and age, I don't want to see that like you know pros coming up are spoiled, but they're spoiled. Like they don't have to go through this. They don't have to fly to mm. Korea to meet strangers and live in a Korean love motel, uh, sleep on bunk beds <laughs> with rows of PCs, like. It's so interesting to hear the grind at the beginning of yeah. this. You know, it's it's well, really interesting. Look, it, it depends it's, on the scene a little bit, right? Because uh, a couple of years ago, I was um, rooming together with Hungrybox at an event, and those Smash people, they still have that same kind of situation sometimes, right? Like, I think they ended up asking me, you know, is it okay if a few of our friends just crash in the room because they don't have any, anywhere to stay? So I ended up sleeping with like seven other people that were just sleeping on the floor and seemingly not bothered by that at all. So there are still some scenes that are holding up the torch of like pure passion. Yeah, but there, there, there's 
there's some crazy, crazy differences for sure. I mean, but it's all in the eye of the beholder, right? What do you grow up with? Uh, your your environment influences you so much. Um, but yeah, when when I actually I lived in Korea for uh, six months, and I slept on a tiny, tiny, thin mattress on the floor for that entire period, and it was honestly some of the best time uh, times of my life. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. But it's a little bit about what expectations do you have going into it. Um, and on the other hand, like, I, I also think being a, a professional athlete in general is really, really hard. If you're 1% um, uh, less than optimal, you can lose a match. If you lose a match, you have nothing. That's so different from being part of the regular workforce. Um, so nowadays, like, whatever we can do to provide comfort for our players, like, uh, we will gladly do it. And, and so we're, like, our new facility in the Netherlands, we have 13 apartments, one floor, uh, above where the players can practice. Um, each apartment will house one player. They have their own kitchen. They have their own shower. Uh, so times have je- definitely changed, but um, it, it also makes sense to me, right? You adapt to your environment um, and, and, and you build up your expectations. And I think that's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also interesting to hear, right? Like I, I would probably argue that some people want to just like play games professionally if they can, because it's cool. And then there's mm-hmm. other people that like, cannot stop thinking about the game and it's like 24 hours a day seven days a week and it's clear that like team liquid was kind of built on the back of that methodology right instead of like oh games are pretty cool which i feel like some maybe other orgs kind of have that or like they're just a flash in the pan where they come in it's kind of cool they get investment and then it just evaporates because there's no passion there and this was all purely built out of passion and the 13 player apartments with the kitchen and individual living all of this stuff was built on knowledge that came from passion which i think is like the coolest part of the team liquid story and your relationship as well. Like the whole thing was like, we both love Starcraft so much that we're willing to do anything and everything to just like keep making that dream a reality. I think that's really, really cool. Absolutely. You know, most of us come from a brood war background and nobody, almost nobody could make money off brood war. Victor could a little bit maybe, but it's <laughs> not like he could support his life being a professional player, right? That concept just didn't exist, but that didn't stop us from, you know, 2000, you know, to, to basically 2010 to still play spend like six to eight hours every day playing Brute War because we just loved the pursuit of excellence. And there was always this dream, maybe I'm going to become the world's best. Maybe I can live in Korea and actually become a professional player and make this my job. But the expectation was not that you would become a professional player and someday make a living. So that's almost everybody that was part of Team Liquid at the beginning came from that background. Yeah. When did uh, when did you start doing the StarCraft two invitationals? When when did all that stuff start? That, that, I mean, that's that's pretty early into StarCraft two. It may have even been uh, in the beta. Um, so with the game technically not uh, not officially being being out yet. Um, but between so in, in two thousand two, we started a community website called uh, TeamLiquid.net. Um, and for the next eight years, that was the place to be uh, to follow StarCraft One, um, uh, the professional scene from Korea predominantly. And I mean, that, the the site had just been even though it was all voluntary, all passion, all hobby. Uh, it been it, it had been growing tons uh, throughout those years. And, and basically, this is a lot of that is before streaming even exists, right? So take two thousand and five. There's uh, massive tournaments going on in StarCraft in uh, in Korea, but you literally have no way to watch those live. And so uh, we had a few folks like in Seoul on location. They would watch the matches on television, 
and they would just write down what was happening and they would post these battle reports on on our site and that's really uh uh you know even, even though i started a clan on battlenet i mean the the website the community site is really where where team liquid uh, grew in all of those years uh, years in between um so when we ended up uh, in in 2010 when server 2 came out um uh, we were much more than a professional team in fact uh, I mean, right now, if you compare our professional team to our our websites, it, you know, it's the professional team outscales the websites with a, a with a huge huge factor. Back then, it was the websites that were really predominantly what's what Team Liquid was about, and I wanted to rebuild uh, rebuild the team. And so, just the 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 invitational really fit in well with our our StarCraft approach. We had a we had a website. We wanted to do more for the scene and so we wanted to start hosting tournaments. And Dario, you were you were invited to the very first StarCraft 2 Invitational. So, do you remember yeah. do you remember that event and kind of the beginnings of of all that stuff? I do remember being invited to it. I do remember my games against Victor, especially we I think we met in the quarterfinals and we have had one of the craziest matches of StarCraft history still, I think in my opinion. There, I played Terran, he played Protoss, and I think I nuked Victor like 10 times at least. <laughs> and um, he, he had like Harriers, I had battle cruisers. It was like just a match of epic scale, and it went back and forth, and I just narrowly won in the end. It's, uh, if you want to look it up, it's Nazgul against TLO on Metalopolis, I think casted by HD Starcraft or something like that. And over a million views on YouTube. And <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. Probably ha- ha- half of them for me. Um, <laughs> And then I think um, the other part that I remember is playing against White Rod, who's an absolute legend in the finals, and he defeated me. And um, I believe I played, yeah, I played random in the series, and my biggest matchup was Protoss against Protoss, and I just kept rolling Protoss. So that's, that's one of the points where I decided I don't want to play random. Basically, White Rod ruined it. Victor, what do you remember about the early Invitational days? The early invitational days. Um, oh, that's a long time ago. Um, I remember like Dario's creativity, which is you know a, a big part of what he's built his uh, his career on and what he's known for. Um, but uh, yeah, his, his eye for the game was was incredible. And I think right after is when I asked like, "Hey, do you want to join yes. Team Liquid?" Right? Like, I saw those matches and and win or lose, um, uh, he was showing just an understanding of the game that I thought was going to go uh, really really far. Um, and yeah, that was going to be crucial for us. So I asked him uh, if he wanted to join Team Liquid, um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure we had we had no revenue, we had no income. Obviously, there's no investors looking at the space yet. Um, and I think I said, "Do you want to join Team Liquid?" And he said, uh, "Yeah, I think so." Um, is there any compensation? Or and I was like, <laughs> "No, we have we have absolutely nothing." Um, and he's like. Fuck yeah! Sign me up. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so he uh, he signed up uh, to join Team Liquid. Well, maybe maybe you just want to share yourself, like what your vision was for it and and, and why you ultimately did it. Yeah, yeah. I believe we had a conversation on. I don't know if it was even ICQ back then. It might have been Skype. Um, and at this point, I made myself a little bit of a name in the soccer scene, and I had a few offers. I, I remember, I think Mouse made an offer, a few other organizations, and most of them were offering contracts of like 100 euros, 200 euros a year. <laughs> a year? Back a then, year? A year. And, and, no, a month. A month okay, okay, okay. Uh, 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 I mean, that's month, great. Uh, and it was one year uh, contract length. Oh, okay, gotcha. And, you, you know, I, I looked at that and figured, you know, 
that's not going to change my life in any way whatsoever. It's like, okay, cool. This would be my first time making actually money off the game. But I had a really good feeling about StarCraft 2 becoming quite large. So I could make that decision to take that money or join Team Liquid where I saw so much more potential. And I think Victor also, you know, he said, you know, at some point, hopefully I can pay you a salary if I have sponsors and things are going well. And, you know, Liquid, Team Liquid has been a part of for my life for so long, and I believe Victor that this is probably the path to go rather than get like pocket change, some other organization that is maybe more established already when it comes to having sponsors and stuff like this. But I believed in team. It's also cool to hear these stories. I mean, especially from you guys, right? Because what I, specifically relating to me, I've met a lot of people in esports. I wasn't part of esports until I joined Team Liquid, and when I joined, the people that exist in Team Liquid are just so passionate and so awesome to be around that it it really did stem from like just this deep passion for Starcraft back in the day with Victor and everything. And like, obviously I met the North American crew when I joined, but everybody in liquid has this passion and they're just like such good people. It's so cool to know that that existed. I mean, it started from the foundation, right? And you built upon that. I mean, this is more, mainly for you, Victor, you built upon this passion and this like good hearted nature of people. And it's such a dice roll back then to like, you know, be faced with contracts and on one hand you have people that are willing to pay you a couple hundred euros a month and Victor's like, well, I can't pay you shit right now, but like could be fun. It, it's, yep. it's really cool that you took the chance and it ended up where it, it was today. I mean, it's an, it's an amazing story. It really is. Yeah. And, and, and so to put it in context, right? So this is 2010 soccer two comes out. Um, that really blows up esports in the West. Um, and, but the eight years before that, I, I, I do think Dario had been following team liquid.net a little bit. He, he knew uh, of what we did for the scene and and it's like whenever i talk about that that period um it's it's very easy for someone who's just listening to think oh things were just really small uh it, it the website didn't matter that much but it's like that's not really how it was like um yeah the revenue of the website were in like 2005 six, seven, like 200 dollars a month uh barely paying for server <laughs> cost but at our peak in those years, uh, we had nearly a hundred voluntary staff, um, and these are not like these are all some of the brightest minds uh, that I've met in my life. These are people studying to be a, a lawyer or all sorts of impressive um, uh, jobs and careers. But they were so passionate about StarCraft, and so TeamLiquid.net, I, I I think was incredibly professionally ran for a, a website that was just all passion and all volunteers. And so that's how you arrive at 2010, right? So you do have this image, I think, I, I think of class, of professionalism, of dedication. Um, it, it, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to look Victor in the eyes and I trust him. Um, yeah. there's, there's proven history, even at that point, um, that, uh, yeah, we, we live up to our word and, and there's a lot of really skilled and talented people uh, on the Team Liquid uh, end already um, and that we're going to figure this thing out together. Yeah, and also to, to talk a little bit about the history, I, I did play, for example, in TSL 2, I believe, uh, which was um, towards, basically, shortly before StarCraft 2 came out, it must have been like 2008 or nine or something like this. And I, I almost made it into the playoffs from the qualifiers, which, by the way, I still am angry about because some people, they are match-fixing. Did you play random? And I didn't know I was Protoss. I was a cheesy DT-dropping proxy-robo piece of shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I was quite good, and I, I could be good players. And I, I made it... Um, it was basically ladder-ranking kind of thing, right? Like, 
um, people would play IC Cup and the people that had the most ranking points that aren't Koreans would qualify to the playoffs. And I was basically just at the cutoff. And on the last day, I kept playing because I thought it's not going to be enough. And then I think a week later or so, the news breaks that some people were match fixing and have been disqualified. And if I would have just stopped playing at that point, I would have been in the tournament. So I'm still holding some old crutches against people that were match fixing back then. I, re- I remember that. We did some serious uh, Sherlock Holmes detective work, me, uh, me and Hotbit, uh, predominantly, and a couple others, um, just tracing IPs and tracking them to different accounts and who was playing against themselves and which friend groups were win trading. Um, we spent like, wow, I remember we spent several days in a row just only trying to uh, solve for that and, and, and ban anyone who, uh, who did that. Um, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds pretty intense, especially for back then. Oh, like, it was. was. Even, it, <laughs> were you no, on like dial-up internet at the time? How were you even? How were you even doing this? Well, Starcraft doesn't require that much. That's uh, true. That's true. Yeah, it's pretty well made. That's funny. Are you so this year? Was it this year? Was it 2020 or 2019? 2020. We did TSL five. We we brought it back after all these back, years. Right. So was that was that an exciting moment for you? I guess both of you to see, you know, the TSL series come back uh, way later after you had started it so long ago? Yeah, I, I thought it was really cool. And we had a lot of fun uh, doing it. And and honestly, internally, and hopefully also uh, from the perspective of the fan, we consider it a, it a huge success. Um, I've been playing with it a little bit already. Dario knows that I had been talking and thinking about TSL for uh, some time. I mean, let's let's say a year or so, maybe a little less. Um, and then COVID nineteen uh, happened, um, and that hit StarCraft pretty rough. Um, and actually, like instead of backing down from it, we saw it as an opportunity to help the scene and do something really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was really a lot of fun. Yeah, it was an awesome opportunity to work on the back end for the first time of what was happening with TSL five. For sure, it's. It's a great event, and let's, let's hope it's maybe not the last one. <laughs> I'm sure it won't be. Um, Victor, how how involved are you with StarCraft still today? I mean, you have a lot of responsibilities as the you know <laughs> co-CEO of Team Liquid, and you're doing a bazillion other things and the new office build and all this stuff, but like, how, how much time are you kind of still giving today to StarCraft and, and the roots? Yeah, I wouldn't say like super closely in terms of uh, time investment. Uh, I mean, Dario and and Matea, our manager, pretty much have uh, have that covered on the on the day to day. But but as an example, when we added uh, Harstam and Clem, um, those were definitely conversations that me and Dario had directly, uh, where I had thoughts and input. Um, I would even go as far as to say that. I pushed Dario to not only go for the proven veteran, but also uh, maybe pick up a younger talent. Um, so in that sense, yeah, still somewhat involved. I mean, it, it doesn't take a ton of time, but uh, I enjoy doing it. I think that's very fair to give Victor credit for Clem. And, you know, we've seen oh, yeah. the success he's been bringing in. So we have, you know, I think Victor's quite happy about that. He, he, he must have said something like, I still got it. <laughs> he's, he's amazing. Clem, Clem's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and I do. Yeah, still and have absolutely it. amazing to work with too. Like that's a nice thing about you know. Well, for me, Team Liquid was always about not just success but also personal fit. And both Clem and Harston have been just an absolute joy to add to the team. And yeah, stuff like that. He's you know, Victor's very involved. So yeah, but I, I really love that, and and we don't always get that um, opportunity in every game that we're in. I mean, um, if you're playing. Uh, especially in the team games at a, at a level of the world's best. Um, you don't honestly always have the luxury of going for a, a, a talent. Um, and so it's so much fun to, to find someone like Clem and just see him flourish uh, 
not solely because of the infrastructure that we can offer and the support, uh, but also because you see the talent early and, 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 and you spot it and, and you see that rewarded. So uh, yeah, it's, it's really, that, that's a big part of, uh, of what I enjoy. Do you feel like there's going to be kind of a hole in Team Liquid Starcraft when Dario ends up leaving? Like, who's going to take over? Like, are you going to try to hire for Dario's position or are you going to be more involved, Victor? Like, what's the what's the plan? Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I think Dario is going to leave us in, in pretty good uh, hands and shape. Uh, he's going to be part of the transition and train uh, everyone who needs to sort of follow it up. So, no, I, I, I feel pretty good about uh, about our future. Um, and uh, I think we're, we're able to uh, to cover it. Um, yeah, I hope you feel the same, uh, Dario. But if not, we, we should <laughs> talk about that. Okay, thanks. Bye. No, um, <laughs> it's I, I feel very confident you know, that the StarCraft team is in very capable hands. You know, also the manager currently is my wife, so I definitely will say that. Um, <laughs> that helps. But <laughs> but no, I think she's excellent, and the StarCraft guys are also just so capable, mature, and easy to work with. That you know. Of course, I'm there for guidance and stuff like that, but it's not like the team is going to fall into disarray. And Mana has been with the team for so many years as well now that he can take up the mantle of being a little bit more of the captain. And I'll always be here. You know, I'm, of course, I'm going to start working for Shopify, but it's not like the people at Liquid won't still be my friends. And if there's like any, like, missing that I, I was an oversight from me leaving and wasn't clarified like I'll definitely sort that out but I think the StarCraft 2 team doesn't have anything to worry about and I really look forward to what the guys will do in the future yeah and we're also like really committed from our end right I mean the game with Team Liquid and, and myself uh, owe so much to the game and, and its community uh, so we're you know it's, it's a big part of our legacy and we're definitely here uh, here for the long run for StarCraft so We'll, uh, we'll make it work. Does it uh, does it freak either one of you out about the things that are going on at Blizzard with like the state of the game for future? Um, I feel pretty confident about StarCraft in particular because the people that are working at StarCraft, I think, did a really good job to secure longevity for the game. Um, you know, we've had the transition from Blizzard handling the circuits to now ESL and DreamHack doing it with, you know, of course, oversight from Blizzard, but it's not Blizzard themselves running the circuit anymore. And the latest patch also had a lot of new features about the community being, being able to make better custom content. So I feel like, yeah, StarCraft obviously is not as big a topic at Blizzard anymore. You know, you're not going to see Bobby Kotick, like, making himself big for, for StarCraft. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but the people that are really passionate about StarCraft really did their best to make sure it's going to keep running, and I'm not too worried about anything. Yeah, and, and this is also, like, a pretty good example of why you really need to have, like, esports knowledge and expertise. And, and I think that's also some of the reason why Shopify uh, uh, wants to work with Dario. But... Um, a decision like in a StarCraft for it to be ran by a third-party organiza organization like ESL, um, in that in that space and for that game, 100% was the right decision, right? Because if you're Blizzard, um, you have West Coast salaries, uh, any vendor that you go to, I mean, they're going to charge you the highest prices uh, possible. Nobody's going to give you a discount. So if you're sitting there like internalizing, running an ecosystem like StarCraft, um, that's really, really difficult for a company like Blizzard. Um, Blizzard's best salespeople. Are they going to sell 
sponsors for the StarCraft Pro Tour, or are they going to sell sponsors for Overwatch League, right? And they have a commission. So it, it just makes a ton of sense uh, for, for Blizzard to work out a, a commercial agreement with uh, ESL, um, and they are absolutely the right party to run it. And, and that, that has actually been part of the reason why we decided to invest even more and go for uh, uh, Clem um, and, uh, and Harstam. So yeah, I, I think it's in, it's in good hands. We said earlier that like COVID-19 really kind of threw a wrench into all of this. So is that a worry? I guess, uh, Victor, this is more for you. Is that a worry in not only StarCraft, but like for the rest of the organization that live events are just not happening anymore? Um, I, would, I wouldn't say a worry. I mean, certainly it is a, a factor that we need to deal with and, and sort of wrap our heads around, uh, around the changes in our, in our business. Um, but if, if you look at what's going on in the world, uh, I would say there's a lot of industries, companies that are, are much worse off. Um, yeah, there's no more live events, and that's really, really, really unfortunate, and they were amazing experiences. But for most of the games, um, we are able to move online, and we are able to draw as much, uh, if not more, uh, viewership than, than before. So I, I, I think, uh, I think relatively speaking, I'm, I'm pretty happy with how esports has dealt with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're lucky that you don't have to physically kick a ball into a goal, right? <laughs> we just, you don't have to be in person. And it kind of brings a big, a little bit of nostalgia back, you know, back in the days. Yeah, I was friends with people I didn't meet until the first time. And now it feels a little bit like that again. But, you know, of course, something is missing. And as you can worry a little bit about if we don't have live events for the next three years, is that going to eventually lead to viewership attrition? But that's all speculative, and right now people are really doing their best making content from home, accommodating people, and there's some advantages, right? Um, running an online event, for example, is way cheaper than renting a venue. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's actually some you know, tournament organizers, some organizations that look at this and think, wow, like we hit 90% as many viewers, and you're spending 10% of the money. This is actually not that bad. Um, but of course, something is missing for offline tournaments, and I, I would expect that if we would never have them again, something would be missing eventually. But eSport is definitely managing better than many other scenes. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the biggest challenge is like, we're all so, it, it's such an ingrained feeling that when you have more viewership, you make more money, right? Like which, whichever sport, that's kind of your, your assumption. This situation is pretty unique, uh, even though in uh, for most of our games, viewership has gone up and sometimes even has gone up, gone up tremendously. It is a little bit of a tough time to ask companies for more money, like sponsors. Yeah. Um, and especially uh, when we're talking about like the growth of esports, um, you're always thinking about bringing in new companies that find out about the space and they want to market in it. Um, and most of those companies are not really entering um, things that they're not familiar with, right? Like that, that are totally new. Um, so that's where a bit of a challenge is. But uh, ultimately, I, I think we're uh, we're going to be fine. Um, and uh, if this thing ever uh, um, is uh, is behind us, we will have those that viewership and and possibly like there's there's people that we attracted in this period that are gonna stick around and stay around and and contribute to growth uh, next year. Yeah, I mean specifically from a growth or decline standpoint, I mean I feel like Team Liquid has been 
growing pretty steadily, even through this pandemic, right? You guys opened up the new Alienware training facility in Utrecht, which is huge for you. You haven't had an office like that. We introduced Team Liquid Rocket League. We introduced a Valorant team. Our sponsors seem to be like still on board with everything that's happening, given the state of the world. So uh, I guess to a uh, question to both of you is like, how does that, how does that make you feel being a part of an organization that people just believe in that heavily? Mm. Yeah, so so I'll, I'll I'll start with my perspective. Um, so I just touched on a little bit, like a company that doesn't spend any money in, in esports yet is it, it's going to be hard to convince them to start doing it now. Um, they have their own uh, financial crisis to deal with, and that just provides yeah it provides for some challenges if you want to do something new. Um, what we've experienced at uh, at Liquid is uh, yeah all of our our partners that have been supportive. They are a hundred percent behind us, um, and they're they're still they already know the space. Um, they know how to make the most of it, and they're still willing to grow with us and and alongside us. Uh, so I, I I feel blessed to have them uh, behind us and supporting us. Um, and the same actually goes for our investor group. Um, so they are hundred percent behind us, and uh, yeah, that has allowed us to still. Um, explore or, or enter opportunities like a Valorant or make roster changes in Counter-Strike. And uh, yeah, I, I feel pretty blessed to be in that, in that spot. Dario, I know that you haven't worked for another uh, esports organization or been a part of another one, but what, what kind of takeaways in your own life have you taken from being a part of an organization like Liquid? Well, I, I think it's what I learned from being on Team Liquid, in Team Liquid and being on the scene is that Esport is so much more than just an entertainment industry. And I think especially with COVID happening right now, there's a cultural shift there. I feel really proud of being part of the scene that is so interactive with the community. And I think there's so much value in community and the culture of game uh, that there isn't, you know, I'm not just looking at viewership numbers or money. I also look at what do people get out of it? And especially right now, people get comfort out of it, people get social interaction out of it. And, you know, within the space of eSport, life can continue relatively normal the way it did before. And I think that's a really beautiful thing that eSport is providing for people right now. And fostering that and making that even stronger, I think, is really important. And that's, like, going, going to be one of my missions. Do you think that people are just, like, hungry for that right now? Like, do you think that eSports or just, like, competitive gaming or gaming in general is going to just, like, attract so many more people because everyone's just at home on their computer for like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like, are we, I mean, I don't know the data, but are we seeing like an uptick in numbers, like of people downloading games for the first time or like getting involved or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I, and streamers have been seeing an uptick in viewership. And I've also seen a shift in how people interact online. You know, people, I don't have the biggest stream, so it, it wouldn't apply to somebody that has hundreds of thousands of viewers, they can't do it, but it's way more interactive than before. People are looking for that human connection more so than even before, and gaming is the most interactive media you can consume at home, not just because you're doing something, but you're doing something together with somebody, you know? It's not the same as watching on your couch and watching a football match. Um, you have this direct connection that doesn't exist in any other medium. Yeah, I, I think uh, absolutely there's been an uptick in viewership for tournaments, personal streams, Twitch numbers. Um, so there's a, there's a ton of growth there. I mean, just a personal anecdote. I, just, uh, I have a group of friends locally. They play games, but they're not really gamers. And historically, uh, maybe they would tune in for a Sunday afternoon if Liquid made it to the final of a big tournament. Um, and that was awesome. That was awesome already as uh, as it was. Um, 
But nowadays, they're they're watching like every Liquid match, and and I see them even talking about matches that don't involve Liquid. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I really think people are looking for entertainment, um, and uh, and esports is providing that. Uh, are you? Maybe it's just my brain is like all over the place because I just have so many questions. But Dario, are you like, are you giving up Star like playing StarCraft completely, taking this new job at Shopify? Are are we going to keep Dario on the roster just in case he wants to like Loki enter a tournament one day? Like, what where what's your involvement with StarCraft now? Kind of that you're taking an, another step out of it. Right. So I'll have to see how much time I find to still be playing the game, but. I will always make some amount of time for still being able to practice. You know, if it comes down to me just playing one hour a day and I can still maintain a several like similar level as I have now, absolutely I will still enter tournaments. You know, if if there's a amazing tournament coming up and I see, oh, maybe I can take my two weeks holidays and just practice and go to the tournament and represent probably Shopify um, um, as a player as well as as a manager, I'll do that. Um, but it won't be my main priority. Of course, my job will require a lot of me, and sometimes there will be times, I'm sure there are months and months I won't really find time for the game, but I care for StarCraft so much, and if I have a choice and I can still compete when I'm 60, I still would want to do that. Uh, it'll all depend. you know. Um, and I think Victor can really feel that you're competitors at heart, so if I'm not able to compete at a level that makes me happy anymore, I, I won't do it that much anymore. But if I can maintain a level where I can compete and maybe not win tournaments, but beat a pro gamer here and there, I'll still find a lot of joy in that. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, sometimes people ask me, like, how much do you play StarCraft anymore? It's, and I, the answer is absolutely never. And <laughs> I, haven't played it, I haven't played it ever since uh, I stopped playing and performing at, like, a, a top level or a decent level. Um, I, I just get no enjoyment uh, from playing StarCraft when I'm bad. Um, and if I don't have the time to devote to actually getting good, uh, I certainly am just not interested in playing. So, um, yeah, I, I, for me, like whether it is StarCraft 1 or, or the brief period I played StarCraft 2 or when I played poker, um, when, I, when I leave it behind, I really leave it behind. What, what game are you playing now, Victor? Are you playing anything right now or are you just uh, business... Businessman. No, uh, no. Right now, I'm I'm not really playing anything. Although, uh, yeah, I, I I watch an unbelievable amount of our our matches, whether it's League of Legends or Counter Strike or Dota, Valorant, Starcraft. Um, there's always there's always something going on. So, that's sort of my uh, competitive outlet. Um, and uh, yeah, that that works for me. More of a more of an analytics driven uh, kind of deep dive in. And, and Dario, you did that too, right? Where you started coaching. Um, is that just like a, <laughs> this is going to sound like an insult, but it's not. Is it just an age thing? Like you get older and like maybe you think, oh, my hand-eye coordination is maybe not as good anymore. Maybe I need to actually start looking at the analytics or like give my opinion on the game because I know so much. I have so much knowledge that now this is what I enjoy. Where, where did that shift happen for both of you, I guess? I don't think it's an age thing as such. I always try to fight the notion that people in their 30s are not going to be as capable anymore in competing in video games and that reflexes are deteriorating. I don't believe that. I recently actually posted a, a reflex test on Twitter and I was beaten by Clem's dad, who's uh, I think in his <laughs> 50s. So that was that was funny. Um, but as you get older, I feel you just get more interests and you want to broaden your horizon more. And 
for me, that was just a very next natural step, trying to look out for the younger players, learning more about the concepts. And it's also important for me, and it was always important for me to develop skills that will help me once I'm not a professional player anymore. And uh, working on those analytical skills is something that's not going to be only useful if I stay in gaming, but any career. Uh, so I've just always tried to, to learn more about games and strategy and analytics and just what's within the game. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more um, that... Well, I, I think there's a lot of folks out there who do think by 25, you're too old to play games at a top level. And I, I just don't, as of right now, I, I don't believe that and I've not seen evidence uh, for that to be the case. And there's this false narrative, uh, and it, it, it happened all the way in StarCraft 1 uh, already, that gamers, if you were a StarCraft 1 player, you were at your peak, like between 16 and, and, and 20, um, and, and that would be it. In my opinion, that's much more related to the scene just not having been developed professionally, right? So take a look at at my example. I was 19 when I moved to Korea. I was 20 when I realized that making $500 a month and sleeping on the floor was probably not going to be my future. And so I pretty much retired from the game. And if you keep doing that, if you keep having people when they're 20 years old realizing I got to move on with my career, obviously the average age of the top gamer is going to be very, very young. And um, I think that is also the reason why we see players uh, uh, stick around at the top level uh, more and more uh, until they are 30. We see that, uh, I think in Dota, there's a couple guys uh, coming closer to that age. In, in Counter-Strike, for sure, there's a, there's a few. Um, and in my opinion, that's, that's all because of the professional development of the scene. If you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars per year... Um, yeah, you'll stick around and, and continue to give it your all and let's see like how far you can go uh, in that scenario. Um, so I, I am not convinced that you slow down so much that you can't compete uh, um, at a top level. Although, I mean, I'm, I'm 37. I, it's probably not going to happen for me anymore, but... Um, you never know, Victor. Yeah, yeah. The, the Boomer Olympics could be your time. The Boomer Esports well, I mean, Olympics. If we are entirely honest, Victor was never the fastest. <laughs> So that wait, but that should that should help then, right? So it allows me to stay around longer. Or maybe the game has up the. <laughs> that is true. So yeah, when I when I when I played Star when I played StarCraft One, I think I was doing like 130, 140 uh, APM uh, actions per minute, and at some point, like every single top Korean in StarCraft 1 was between 250 and 350. Just no, like no exception. It was crazy how much faster uh, people got. But I mean, I, I know there is, uh, it's a joke, but there's definitely some truth in that. When, when you're in a game early, there's much more space for innovation, uh, adapting quickly to new strategies and making that sort of like um, the key on why you're winning matches. And the longer a game's around, um, the more... Strategies are refined. Uh, the more similarities you're going to see in, in different strategies as well, and and also the more of a role mechanics are going to play. Um, that doesn't mean you obviously uh, need to understand the game at a very very deep level, regardless. But at some point, uh, there's a few players that are going to be good early on in a game, and they're not they're not going to be able to stick around uh, eventually. Yeah, I think we see something very similar in traditional sports too. Very, if you go back 40 years. You had a player that it's like if you have four different bars when it comes to like maybe one is speed, one is like you know um, dexterity, one is strategy. You could just be maxed out on one of those bars and you would be a superstar. 
But nowadays, you basically need to need to hit every category at such a high level that those people don't really exist anymore. But some of them are the most exciting figures in sports because they would just stand out so much. But it's it's just a natural progression of and the games and becoming and, more professional. And that is why Messi is the best football player of all time, by the way. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you your hands handle that conversation. This is not a conversation I, for us I'm Americans. not arguing against that. I'm not even that much into <laughs> soccer, so I'll let you have that. All right. The thing I always found interesting and, and similar to what you guys are talking about is that the rules of traditional sports don't ever really change. Like football is still football from years ago, years ago. Basketball is still basketball, right? Like in esports, uh, maybe not so much for StarCraft or like Melee or whatever, but like, you know, Valorant, Overwatch, whatever, League, new champions are being introduced. Map changes are being made. Every two weeks, the game patches. A, a character is now stronger than it used to be. Things are weaker than it used to be. It's so difficult to keep up with that where it's like if you... If you're playing basketball, for example, like the only competitive advantage you really have is athletic prowess. But with esports, you have to like really have a sharp mind. So maybe it doesn't really matter as much about reflexes as much as it does like being able to think competitively and like putting the puzzle together. Well, it's interesting. It's I, different than every game. Yeah, and you need you absolutely do need both. You you absolutely need both, and it's interesting because I think um, sometimes you hear comparisons around uh, esports and gaming to a chess, for example, or that they're entirely uh, sports based on uh, mind games and thinking. I would actually say the physical aspect of esports, um, and I don't mean that you're an endurance athlete per se, but the speed and dexterity uh, that you need to have in your hands, it it is absolutely world-class and top level. Um, and I don't think you can perform at uh, at the highest level without uh, without both. A lot of that is about actually, you're saying, yeah, you're not an endurance athlete in the traditional sense that you can run a marathon, but the best players stand out because they can move their fingers so fast and so precise for hours and hours and hours. That's one of the biggest difference between Serral, the best soccer player in the world, arguably, and many other players is because he'll play a 45-minute StarCraft game at like 350 APM, and at minute 40, he still has the same APM as at minute, minute 5 and hitting everything perfectly. So it is this, you have this endurance in your mind, but also in your body that it's pretty easy after 40 minutes to start cramping up, starting being uncomfortable, making more mistakes. So that's absolutely a very physical element. How important is it for both of you to try to get out of the chair, right? Because they say that sitting is the new smoking and like, you know, esports has kind of a bad rap of like, oh, they just sit in their mom's basement eating their Doritos sitting in a chair all day. So how is it, how important is it for you to like get out and, and try to get away from that? Victor, I know you play basketball at a really high level. I witnessed it myself. Uh, <laughs> but Daria, how about you? Like, are you guys making time to work out and, and getting out of the chair and stretching and doing all that stuff? How, how important is it for you? Absolutely. It makes a world of a difference. Um, it makes a difference, first of all, for my well-being, but it, I also notice it makes a huge difference for um, my performance. And that's something that, especially somebody that is becoming one of the older players, that's where it becomes really important to take care of yourself. A kid that's 18 he can sit for 12 hours in a chair and do nothing but play the game, probably even forget about eating, and he's still going to be okay. It's not the healthiest thing to do, but he's going to be fine performance-wise. As you age, self-care becomes more and more important. And I'm just grateful that we're, that culture is getting more important and we can teach people at a younger age that, no, you can't just do this. You need to actually take care of your body. If you want to have a career in 10 years in this game as well, you need to take care of yourself. You should go for a run. You should get up every hour. You need to eat well. Um, those things are getting more important. And that's always been a very important mission of esports for myself as well, that 
esports, I think, is a great outlet to make gaming more healthy rather than making it less healthy. It's not about, you know, selling a dream to people that you can just play a game for 12 hours a day and then you can make millions of dollars. There's a process to that. And that process involves a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and healthy gaming like, is a big part of our mission too, um, whether that is eating or exercising. And that comes through our own personal experiences too. Like I, I didn't have uh, someone when I was younger that would just honestly pay me and then educate me on those topics. Um, and it would have been nice to have it, but uh, yeah, when I was uh, playing StarCraft, um, uh, it, was definitely not, it was definitely not a healthy experience. So I'm glad that uh, times have changed and we're becoming much, much more, more aware of that and um, we're always trying to educate all of our players around it. Uh, are you at all worried about like, you know, the NFL had the whole like concussion thing. Oh no, football players are getting concussions. I had no idea. Are you at all worried about eventually uh, esports kind of hitting the, like, I, if you look at the bell curve of esports, right, it's going up and up and up and all these companies are investing and it's getting bigger and bigger. Is there going to be some sort of like carpal tunnel situation like later down the line? Are we as Team Liquid doing anything to like, you know, do we have physical trainers on staff? Are we paying attention to any of that? Are we at all concerned at all about any of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, and I would say, by the way, that StarCraft is is sort of one of the uh, m most toughest games to play. There, yeah, it's one 100%. of the most inten in intense ga games out there. Um, to some extent, of course, there there's going to be education, there's going to be exercise, um, and we do have physical therapists that are working with a couple of our our, our teams and players. Um, that is definitely true. I think the concussion example is is pretty extreme. Um, if you compare it to another sport where injuries also happen, um, it, it, it's not like always a, a, a life changer um, if you get injured. Uh, so in that sense, yeah, I do think it's going to happen, but I, I don't think it's going to have any impact like uh, like the, what the NFL is going through. I mean, being concussed and either being sent out there or, or just being so tough. I mean, those, those athletes are just like, they, they are so hardened um, that they just go back out on the field, sometimes don't even tell anyone, um, and just get uh, uh, bumped in the head over and over. And yeah, you, at some point you turn 50, you turn 60, and uh, your, your mind is starting to fail you. Okay, that, that's, that is really, really serious stuff, right? Like, would I want my child to go through that? No, absolutely not. Um, I don't think carpal tunnel is at that level. Um, obviously, like uh, injuries are a part of esports, and we have to deal with them professionally, just like any any other sport. Um, but I'm, I, it's not like a scandalous thing or anything, in my opinion. Yeah, I think esport injuries are much more gradual and more repetitive stress injury related, which is not great. But I think the good thing about it is it is more gradual and then can be addressed. It's not going to be as hidden as brain injuries. And one thing that people have to keep in mind, extreme athletes, top athletes of most sports are not at a healthy level of peak, uh, like peak, they're not at peak health. They are beyond peak health where it actually becomes damaging again. You know, it's uh, somebody, I read somewhere that almost every single professional European football player is pretty much taking pain medication almost every single match to just being able to be in the field. And clearly stuff like that isn't healthy, but still... There's this impression that extreme athletes are healthy because they are at peak performance, but they are they crossed cross the threshold where there's all kinds of health problems that come with that. Even people that get things like leaky gut syndrome, somebody that's a high distance runner, that's even not good for your intestinal tract and stuff like that. 
So in a way, maybe e-sport is almost going to be healthier than some of the most extreme ends of um, normal professional sports. But yeah, there will be issues. People will, as they age, realize maybe I should have been doing more um, stuff to balance out that lifestyle. But I think it is something that can be managed. And I don't think we're going to come across as super surprising Suddenly at 50, every professional player is going to have this one super serious issue. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, and I, I, I'm also not, uh, I'm not big on just pretending like gaming is without issues. I mean, any industry, any sport, whatever you look at, it, it's never going to be perfect, right? And so if someone were to ask me, is gaming good for you? I mean, gaming can bring a lot of good things. Uh, you can train your mind for it. You can uh, obviously follow a career. You can learn to interact online in, in team games. There's a lot of good things that come from it. Uh, but obviously, there's, there can also be a downside, right? I mean, uh, they're just like, I mean, I basically devoted my life to StarCraft One without any clue whether or not that was going to pan out for me. I mean, that wasn't even my goal. I just had so much fun improving and so much fun playing the game. That's just what I did. There's going to be other people who do the same, but they don't end up on top. And, and I think we have to be uh, realistic about that, that that can also happen. Um, and whenever I get asked about it, like I, I tend to give a realistic answer, which is that uh, that can happen for sure. And it's no different than any other sport. Um, the amount of, of youth and, and, and young tr children and young adults that pursue a career in football um, that are part of like having to train uh, five times a week uh, and trying to make it as a professional, but actually fall through and fail, uh, but get a worse education because they tried, um, that, that, that's hundreds of thousands of people as well, right? And that is a part of sports. And, and ultimately, sport is about excellence. Um, and you don't reach excellence with some, without some people uh, not making it. And I, I, to me, I think sport is one of the purest things on the planet. Um, and, and that's what's really appealing to me. If you're, if you're good, if you're the best, you're simply going to win. Um, and, and that's what's really appealing to me. But yeah, I, I don't think esports is without, or, or gaming is without uh, its challenges necessarily. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. And whenever... And it happened a few times. Somebody asked me, hey, Dario, I want to try to become a professional StarCraft 2 player. I have like one year to do it. Would you recommend me doing it? And usually I say, first of all, no, I don't recommend it. But if you want to do it, if you just want to for one year, try your best, become a streamer or a professional player, do it in such a way that you spend this one year. And if you don't reach the result you envisioned, you still don't regret having spent that year. Work on yourself as a person. Try to reach that excellence through, through good habits you build, you know? Live a healthier life. Make sure everything you're doing is directed to reach excellence in a healthy manner that then will help you do whatever else you want to do after that. Even if you don't succeed at your dream, you're still a better person after that. And I think that's a really important message for people. As Victor said, most people will fail at reaching that, but that doesn't mean trying to reach it has to be a bad thing. You can do it in such a way that makes you grow as a person. Yeah, and and on our end, we've never uh, contracted anyone uh, with a result or requirement to leave uh, leave high school. As an example, uh, that's really important to us. You've got to finish high school. Um, but what what I think a lot of uh, folks underestimate is actually like how incredibly talented and dedicated and and uh, good at the game the professionals actually are. And what I mean by that is sometimes we see. I guess, uh, uh, gamers say or suggest, you know, how about I, I quit 
I quit school and I'm going to try and practice. I'm going to try and make it. For the most part, I kind of feel like if you're in that spot and you're asking that question, you're probably not going to make it. Because a lot of the top players out there, they're so good, they manage to get to the very, very top um, or, or like right below the top level while still being in school. Um, and of course, to compete at, to, to become world champions, they eventually had to make a choice to go full time. Um, but I, I think a lot of the top players um, actually uh, got very, very far just like playing next to school or next to education. Uh, and only when they had an opportunity to go professional, it's like someone is offering a proper salary, is when they said, okay, I guess I'm not going to pursue a university or something. Um, and I think that's good to be aware of. If you're really not close to the top level, uh, it's probably not going to help you to quit anything in order to get there. So do you? Yeah, it should always be a it should always be a hobby until it's not basically. So do you believe that esports athletes are, in a sense, like is it is it physically gifted? Like same with like traditional sports, right? Like yes, you have somebody that can clearly run faster than somebody else. But do you think that the the guys that are or girls that are balancing both school and becoming a top level athlete are they physically gifted in some way, or is it something else? It's very difficult to say at this point. We have so little research when it comes to you know professional sports nowadays. We have so many studies on it. We understand a little bit better. Esport clearly is not there yet. I think there is going to be always something about nature. There's always nature and nurture, and I do think actually to an extent it's also it is making bad choices in your life to an extent as well, that some professionals did do the unhealthy thing and dedicated an enormous amount of hours, and some of them make it, but that doesn't mean it's a recommended path that people take. But some people just have this obsession, and then nothing will stop them, right? Um, everybody's different. I think there's no clear type when it comes to these words. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I could only agree. It is nature and nurture. Um, but that does mean there's some amount of of just innate and inherent talent that i think helps or contributes to uh yeah to i mean to getting all of us where we are um but there's also of course nurture environment hard work and all of that uh, is crucial as well so we're talking about you know no lack of trying to be the best and to be the most excellent which is an excellent transition into the end of the show which i guess is like for both of you, what's what's next? What is the next level of excellence that you're trying to reach? Um, Dario, for you at Shopify, and Victor, for you, you know, with, with Team Liquid. One of my main visions, at, visions and missions at Shopify is going to try to elevate how we look at practice environments for, for people in esports, see if we can facilitate grassroots scene, players in the scene, and really identify what can be done to turn this into a science. You know, what, what can we do? What can we analyze of players? Uh, what scenes can we grow that we see excellence in? And just try to really identify that. And we are lucky that Shopify basically has infrastructure, has means that some other companies in esports won't have that we can take some risks and can basically experiment all around a little bit. And I think that will be a lot of fun to find out what really... What does it mean to be excellent in esports, and how can we help people reach that excellence? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think for myself, actually, I never tend to uh, look too far into the future with my goals. Like, if I go all the way back to StarCraft, I, I just had a thorough enjoyment for getting better at the game. Um, and if you do that, and and you're objective about it, you're 
you're going to end up where you're going to end up. I mean, you can say, I want to be a world champion, but mm. ultimately it is about what do you put into it every single day? Um, do you put into hours? Are you realistic about to yourself about the mistakes that you're making? And it was the same in poker uh, for me, honestly. It wasn't like, oh, I need to earn X amount of money in poker or that, is, or, or that is my goal or my goal is to buy a house. That was never the case. It was always, always about, I'm just going to be the best poker player that I can be. And truthfully, uh, that's kind of how I look at Team Liquid as well. Um, I, I believe that we are really well positioned across the amazing players that we have and the incredible staff. Um, to just continue to make the best decisions that we can make on an ongoing basis. Um, and I would like to think that that's going to lead to being, uh, yeah, around the top of the esports scene um, and uh, being one of the strongest organizations or, or teams in the world. That's absolutely um, what we're going for and what we're shooting for. Um, but I do tend to take it day by day, uh, even though obviously our investors have five-year projections and you know you try and figure out the vision for the future. Um, but I, th I think we're just trying to be the best version of ourselves at all times. I, I think that's a beautiful self-reflection on, on eSport in general, because almost everybody in eSports comes from a gaming background and self-reflection and growth mindset is what makes people good at games. But I also think it makes people good at anything else and that we really see that type a lot in eSport. Yeah, I mean, if anyone thinks for a second that Team Liquids exists because I saw this future, uh, yeah, that that would be the wrong assumption. Uh, I never, I never saw this future. Uh, we just enjoyed doing what we what we did, and um, I think we were very diligent about it and always tried to make the right decisions, whether or not we had a group of hundred volunteers or um, or whether we were filling stadiums with ten thousand people. So we'll uh, we'll keep doing that. That's amazing. Uh, I'm obviously biased because I work here, but Team Liquid is clearly an amazing organization with amazing people. And that's the reason why I think all of us have stuck around for as long as we have. Dario certainly the longest, 10 years. Uh, what a what an amazing run come to an end, but it, we're all super, super stoked for you. So is there anything else that you guys want to say before we wrap up the end of the show? You, you want to plug your socials? I know Victor's very active on Twitter and wants to plug his Twitter <laughs> handle to everybody out there listening. But is there anything else that you want to say before we wrap it up? Well, I just want to say that, you know, everybody that's been at Team Liquid together with me throughout this journey, they'll always be my brothers and sisters. And no matter where I'll be, what I'll do in my life, those people will always mean the world to me. And don't be strangers. You know, we have a bond that will last forever. And yeah, just love you all. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm still going to be around. So, you know, don't, don't be worried. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's really cool, and it's a, it's such a big part of what we love to do, right? Like, and so many folks within Team Liquid committed to esports very, very early on. I don't think it was for that early group. I don't think it was much about, oh, I think my future is going to go here or there. And so, just seeing uh, everyone's growth and and seeing where uh, Dario is going to go in in his future, it, it is just incredible, and it's uh, it's really rewarding. So, um, I think that's awesome. And I appreciate all of our staff that uh, that are here contributing to uh, to everything that that Team Liquid is doing. And yeah, I think we're uh, we're doing well. So I'm pretty happy. Hell yeah, Dario! Where can people find you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter.com/liquidtilo. Um, I have a lot of spicy takes about a few different things and. I might be streaming a little bit in, in these times as well, of course, uh, on Twitch at 
liquid TLO. Maybe that idea is gonna change at some point, but for now it's probably still gonna be liquid TLO when this goes live. <laughs> Oof, too soon. Too soon to yeah, change the handle. Yeah. That's rough. <laughs> uh, Victor, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I am Liquid Nazgul on Twitter, pretty much. All right, guys, and you can follow me if you'd like at Naughty and Sands on Twitter and Instagram, mostly. I don't use anything else. Also, if you're watching this video on YouTube, make sure you give it a thumbs up, drop a comment in the comment section below, and also subscribe to the Team Liquid YouTube channel. If you're listening on your favorite podcast application, make sure to give us a follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, a five-star review would be awesome. Wherever you're listening from, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.